You know, we are all so very blessed people. When you consider where we could be, where we would be, left to our own devices, left to fend for ourselves, left to figure it out on our own, man has repeatedly over and over failed. Pastor Corey's talking about first and second Samuel. Basically, if you start at the beginning of this book and you read to the end, man's failed. But God is not. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, we have to determine in our hearts how now shall we live? If Christ is risen, if the grave is empty, if the victory on the cross was secured by the resurrection at the tomb, if Jesus is alive, that has to change things in us today. And I don't say if as though there were doubts in my mind, because I am certain that my Jesus is alive. What I am not as certain about is that most people who call the name of Christ are certain that their Jesus is alive. Because, as Paul talks about in Ephesians, and if you've been in Sunday school this last um, several weeks, you've been hearing a lot from Ephesians, because that's what we're studying. But as Paul talked about in this morning's message, Brother Willie, uh, we used to be pretty rough characters. I want to tell you a funny story. I wasn't going to do this, but now I'm going to. Went to the convention this week, and um, the chairman of our executive board is the pastor of First Baptist Church of Anaheim. And his name is Victor, we say C, because his last name's about this long. And I don't have any clue what it, it looks like a cross between an Eastern European and an Asian name mixed in with a little Polynesian and some Hispanic. And he looks like that too. And so Victor was sharing with us. He's, he's one of these guys who's real boisterous, Brother Leon. He, he talks like this, and he wants everybody to understand. He's like this all the time. And he's really, you know, he's like, hey, guys, are you here today? Can I hear you? You know, kind of guy. And um, he's, a, he's a wrestling fan. That'll put it in perspective for you, okay? And I don't mean like 215-pound men in leotards rolling around on a rubber mat together. I'm talking about WWE style. And if you tell him he's fake, he says, no, it's not fake, it's rehearsed. <laughs> and, so, um, and so Pastor Victor is sharing in the devotional that morning, and he's talking about how he hasn't always been Pastor Victor. And if you know Pastor Victor, you know him now as Pastor Victor, First Baptist Anaheim, California, who has a doctorate of ministry, a doctorate of theology, and a medical doctorate in osteopathic medicine. So he's doctor, 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 Victor C. But he said, I haven't always been Pastor Victor. He said, when I was growing up, I was part of a Mexican street gang in Norwalk. He says, I'm not going to talk about what gang I was a part of. And he's like, you know, I'm not going to tell you what gang, what gang I was a part of, he said, but 
We had our, 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 our gang has the name of the gang tattooed across their chest in Old English. You all know who that is. And he said, but I didn't ever do that. He says, because, now Victor's like five foot, 115 pounds. He said, I didn't ever do that. He said, you're a preacher you come on now and when Jesus makes a difference in our lives it has to be so obvious that other people will see it and when that happens it should change us from the inside out and our want to's guys change you know what I mean by that the things that we desire they change and we have a heart for something different and it's not an instantaneous once and for all. It's, I heard it this week, expressed this week. It's, it's sanctification in slow motion. God, step by step, little by little, changing us. But as he does, we learn that there are some core values that should be important to us as believers. That when you read the scripture, you'll see that there are things that they're not negotiables. They're not sometimeables. There is no such thing as a part-time core value. You realize that. A core value is that which is at the center and the, the, the being of who you are that determines all the rest about you. And so when you think about God, we think about God in, as a holy God. That he is at his nature, at the core of who he is, unchangeable, immutable is the, the fancy word, unable to be anything other than who he is, he is a holy God. And so we should be, as he said, be holy therefore as I am holy. That's what we looked at last week. Well, this week we're going to be looking at the next of these short lists, of the short list of core values that we're going to talk about, and that's Grace. Now, I want to tell you, if there's anything about God that you should be happy for and thankful for, it's that at the core value of who God is, He is a gracious God. And I don't mean gracious as in He accepts compliments well, Brother Jim. You know, that's when we think of gracious. We think that's somebody who's able to, to not get the big head about who. Listen, God doesn't need to get the big head. God is big. You understand? God's not impressed by our worship this morning. He's impressed by our willingness to worship. But listen, have you ever heard birds sing? Some of us say, I'm not going to sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Do you realize bullfrogs have a voice so they can worship God? God has created us to, to honor him. And it's not as though God is sitting up in heaven saying, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep on coming. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No, the grace that I'm talking about is a completely different grace, a different type of graciousness. It's a grace that is life-changing for us. And so we're going to look at that today. If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got a worship bulletin, 
I remind you kids that in the worship bulletin is your handout. Make sure you're filling those out and turning them in. Um, and then at the end of, actually this is the end of the month, so next week we'll be having a drawing based on those who've been turned in. And um, there's a gift card somewhere. And, uh, Apollo, have you already spent yours from last month? He's still... Somebody check his temperature. A teenager with a gift card to a fast food place, and he still got it a month later. Yeah, Gilbert, I guess he's buying your lunch today. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Would you stand with me as we read from God's holy word? Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who, also, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh, by human hands, remember that you were at the time, at that time, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Well, that's an encouraging thought. Verse 13, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, for reminding us of the impact that it should have on our lives every single day, for you are working to accomplish your purposes. Lord, drive us this morning to a place where we must consider the grace that you've shown us and how it changes us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, if we were going to start this morning with a question, when you're considering this core value of grace, then the obvious question that we would begin with is how do you define grace? What's the definition for grace? There's all kinds of different options that you could do. You could look in Webster's Dictionary. You could look online. Um, guys, did you, kids, did you know there was a time when you didn't look on Google for a definition? Wikipedia, as Pastor Corey says. Padaya, Wikipedia, Wikipedia. There was a time that you searched somewhere else for grace. There was these books called dictionaries you could look in. And um, if you look in a theological dictionary for grace, you're going to find something along the lines of this. The church answer um, is this. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. And it's probably even spelled out that way. You have to, God. The unmerited favor of God. Grace. That sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Mean anything to you? 
You know, that's a great theological definition, and we could take a few moments and break it all down and talk about what it means for it to be unmerited, to think about the idea of favor, that God shows favor to us, that the specific location or the specific um, uh, provider of this issue, this item of grace is, is from God. But I'm going to make it easy for you. Here's the simple answer, the simple definition for grace. You ready? It's getting what you're not worthy of. Some people will say that grace in a simple answer is getting what you don't deserve. But what I've found is that some people, when they think of that, they say getting what you don't deserve. Well, that means when something bad happens and I don't think I deserved it, that it was God that gave that to me. That's not always the case. Now, God always allows things to happen in the way that he allows them. But that doesn't mean that everything bad in your life came directly from God as though he's saying, oh, Dennis, you did something wrong. Zap! Yeah, that would be bad. I mean, think about it. If God were to turn his anger at us, which one of us wants to try and sustain that? But probably better than the idea of getting something that you don't deserve is getting something that you're not worthy of. That you don't, you're not good enough for this. This is, not, this is not something that on your own you ought to be able to receive. It's not a, a blessing that comes your way that is something that you've done something to, to be a part of. Grace is simply someone choosing to bestow upon someone else something because of who the giver is and not who the receiver is, the recipient is. Does that make sense, Luke? It's not about whether you deserve it. It's about whether I choose to do it for you. And so this week, tomorrow, my twins, my twins, my twins, my twins, Tomorrow, they're going to be 14. They don't deserve it. <laughs> I didn't even intend that part. But, but they're definitely going to get their birthday spankings. Unworthy of it. It's a gift. It's something they were given. And so each, each one of those licks, Karis and Luke, just remember it's a gift. This is grace. We laugh about that, but what do you have from God that you earned? What do you have from God that you deserve? What is it that God owes you? Because in our culture, we live this life as though everybody owes us something. Grace is the exact opposite of that. And so if you want to really show Jesus to the world around you, learn how to live in grace. Because nobody will believe that that could be true. Victor sees a pastor? It's grace. So we've talked about each one of these, or we're talking about in each one of these core values, three different distinct areas. So we think about grace as being something that we're not worthy of. There are three specific areas that we're looking at in each one of these core values that we want to answer from the scriptures. The first one is, what does this core value, 
What is this idea? What is this thing that we're looking at? What does it demand of us? So what does grace demand of you? You see, if God, and let me change that because this is going to be hard for me to do this. Because God has done what God has done. Because God, before the foundation of the world, chose to send Jesus Christ. Before you had ever done anything wrong, Brother Justin, God knew that you were going to be a sinner in need of grace. And because he did that, because he knew that, he sent Jesus to die upon the cross for you. And before you were ever born, Jesus gave himself for you. And Jesus, on the cross, took upon himself the weight of the sins of all of mankind. Un- he was without sin. He was perfect. But the Bible says that he became sin for us. And before any of us were even, before we were even thought of, before our, parents, before our grandparents were thought of, because God made a way for us, and he did all of that, we can accept that as a matter of historical fact and move on as though we're no different than the fact that at some point in history, Abraham Lincoln was president of the United States. Or we can recognize the significance of all significances. That the God of the universe put upon himself human flesh, came to earth and dwelt among men, and in dwelling among men, he established the way for man to have relationship with God the Father and to live eternally in glory with him. Because of what God has done, what does that mean for you and I? Does that mean that we can just sit back and say, hmm, nice to know. You see, many people in the world today have a mental acknowledgement that yes, there was a man named Jesus. Yes, he died on a cross. And yes, it is stated that he rose three days later. That doesn't mean that because they believe that that may have happened, that they understand that that grace was for them. But let me tell you, when you come face to face with the reality that the grace that God showed, that everything that Jesus did was because of you, grace demands something. And here's what it demands. It demands a response. Now, all of you grandparents here, you're going to understand this very well. When your grandchild comes to your house, and they come in and you do something nice for them, and maybe you cook them their favorite meal. Remember, my grandmother used to make a pot roast and rice and gravy that was out of this world. Man, it was good. And I would think back to when that would happen, and um, man, I don't know how many hours she spent on that. I'd sit down at her table, and I'd eat it, and I'd get up, and I'd walk away, and I as a kid, never expressed any appreciation at all. Any grandparents ever experienced that? Do something for your grandkids and they're like, oh, expected that. Listen, when you understand the depth of what's been done for you, it demands a response. It demands a response. Jesus said it this way. He was talking to a very learned man, a man who was very, very skilled in understanding the things of the Old Testament. 
It says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews, which means he was probably one of the top 70. That's a big, pretty big spot. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Isn't that such an odd response, Brother Richard? Here's this guy, he's very learned, he's a scholar, he's a professor, he's probably one of the Sanhedrin, he's a ruler of the Jews, he's someone that he's used to being deferred to everywhere he goes, he comes to Jesus and he says, man, I'm telling you, we see that you are something. We don't know what something is, but we see that you're something. You're amazing, nobody could do the things that you do unless God's with you. And he probably expected Jesus to say, well, thank you, I appreciate that, what can I do for you today? Jesus said, you must be born again. What? Out of the blue? You must be born again? You see, Nicodemus, without even realizing it, had come and had stood before the God of all of the universe. And he said, it is obvious that there's something different about you. There's obvious that there's holiness in him. That's what something to holiness means, something different, set apart, completely unexpected, unlike anything else around. We recognize that there's something different about you, and there's no way that this could be possible unless God was involved. And Jesus immediately demands a response. When we recognize the gift of grace, Jesus immediately demands a response. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter into a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Nicodemus, the learned scholar. Nicodemus, the Pharisee. Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus, one who people looked to for all the answers, said, What? I don't understand. Pastor Corey, you probably gave him that look you got from the youth this morning in Sunday school. What? And Jesus answered. Well, you know, let me explain it to you. You know, I'm going to make this very simple to you. I'm, I'm going I'm to lay it all out. No, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's saying, what? You want to know what? Here's what. When you recognize that God has been gracious to you, respond to him, turn your heart to him, it demands something. The presence of God demands something. The grace of God demands something. He keeps on going. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. It's very simple. What does grace demand? It demands a response. It demands a response because grace is offered to all of us. The very presence of Jesus having come changed everything for us. It made it possible for all to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It made it possible for all of us to find forgiveness and to find within Him meaning and purpose and direction for life. It made it possible for us to be adopted as His children. All of that is possible, but grace offered and not received doesn't affect any change on the life of the one who rejects it. You see, 
God came and he offered grace as a gift. Pastor Corey, your, your white elephant gift last year. That glorious picture of your mug. That gift, some of you would have just discarded it. But somebody held on to it. Because it meant something. Now, the world sometimes looks at what Jesus did like that mug of Corey. Why do I want to keep this? But to the one that treasures it, to one that it matters to, it somehow takes on a place of prominence in their life. And the grace that Jesus offers and offers to you and to I really makes a difference for us when we take it as our own. Grace demands a response. If that's what grace demands, then what does grace produce? What happens when we receive God's grace? What changes take place? Grace received in the life of the believer, first of all, produces salvation. Now, if I were about 30 pounds lighter and 10 years younger, I might jump up and click my heels together like Dorothy. But I have a feeling that I need to be able to land on both of these feet when I'm done. And so y'all just picture that in your mind. Grace received in the life of the believer produces salvation. It produces salvation. Salvation. Change. Forgiveness. It produces salvation. Think about that for a minute. What Jesus did on the cross produces salvation for us. For by grace are you saved. It it. It's what changes everything. I remember the night, Apollo, that I went home and I told my dad. I was, I was 14 years old. I had just received Christ. I went home and I told my dad that I got saved that night because that was the terminology that we used in our church. And I'd gotten saved that night. And he said, saved from what? And I didn't know how to explain it, but I sure knew it. I sure understood it within me. I sure had a feeling that was different from anything else. It changed me from the inside out. And from that moment forward, I can always go back to that place and I can say, grace, for by grace I am saved. I don't have to worry about was I good enough. Brother Delmer, I don't have to worry about if I followed all the rules enough. I don't have to worry about whether or not everybody in the church likes me because I know that's never going to be the case. Like the old preacher said, I came here, I, my goal was to make all of you happy. My first effort at that was coming here, and by coming here, I made some of you happy. And in the time I've been here, I've made some more of you happy. And today I'm going to make the rest of you happy because I resign. <laughs> That's how the old pastor viewed trying to make everybody happy. The only way to make that happen is to leave in some cases. Because some people are not going to be happy as long as... They're not getting what they want. But let me tell you, salvation, wow, 
changes things. I don't have to worry about whether I give enough money to the church, Brother Gene. That doesn't mean y'all need to keep your pockets full and the church bag empty. I want to remind you tonight, today when we have the offering, when that bag comes by, reach in front of you and grab the wallet out of the person in front of you and give like you always wanted to. Some of y'all are going to get that in a few minutes, Brother Les. <laughs> Brother Les said, nobody's in front of me. <laughs> Listen, I don't depend on those things. Jesus did it for me. Man, I couldn't be good enough. I couldn't do enough. I couldn't, I couldn't answer enough questions. I couldn't make enough people happy. I couldn't give enough money. If it were up to me, I, would, I had already, I have failed. <laughs> but now I'm saved. Now I am set free. Now I am forgiven. I don't hope to one day when I cross those finish line and I step into eternity, I don't hope that one day when that happens that I'll be found good enough. I know that when I cross that, my Jesus was already good enough. It produces salvation. Grace does that. Grace produces a new creature. He changes us from the inside out. We're no longer the same. Pastor Victor said, you're who? It changes us from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. It is different now. And it's all because of grace. Brother Bob, it's not because we learned enough. It's not even because they sat in your Wednesday night Bible study classes enough. It's not because they figured it all out. It's just because of grace. Because of grace. Grace works in us to do something. It produces the fruits of the Spirit in the life of the believer that enable them to, to produce the good works that we're created for. See, the Holy Spirit, by His grace working in us, does something amazing in us that we could never do on our own. How many of you have ever found somebody that you, you know that God's called you to love them, but you find it hard? You know, some people, they're just hard to love. And, but God said to love them. In fact, he goes so far as to say, love your enemies. Love those who, who do things terrible to you. How do you do that? Except that the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, produces the good works that you were created for. It does what you cannot do. I want to tell you, if you knew me apart from Jesus, you probably wouldn't like me. You may not like me anyway. But you really wouldn't like me then. It's not about us, guys. <laughs> if it were about us, we'd all be in trouble. But because of what God has done in us, things are different. Things can be different. Things should be different. Things must be different. Listen to what he says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, where does that fit in your life without grace? I can't love everybody without God's grace. I can't have the joy in my life that I need without God's grace. I, I can't live in peace 
without God's grace. I, I can't be patient. I have a hard enough time being patient with God's grace. I can't display kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control. I can't be those things apart from the grace of God. If I could have, Jesus never would have had to come. Those things can't be true of me if it not, was not for the grace of God. Those good works, these things, these evidences of the Spirit of God moving in our lives are there for a purpose and they're there to prove the, the primary message of God's reconciliation to the world around us is through us to them. We are now the vehicle of God's grace. We are the, the ones who demonstrate God's grace. We're the ones who communicate God's grace. We're the ones who share with others their need for God's grace. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. It means bringing two things that are out of balance into balance together. People that are standing in opposition to God and those who need God brought into a place where they find hope and peace in Christ. That is what God has given us this, the ministry of, and it is the works of the Spirit working in our lives by the grace of God, given to us by the grace of God, that enable us to show them how they can be reconciled to God. It's only possible through Him. Namely, that God, what, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, not giving them what they deserve. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here's what grace produces. Grace produces believers who will tell others about him. And if you don't, if your life isn't a visual, verbal, continual testimony to the goodness that is God, and you call yourself a Christian, repent. And turn your heart to him this morning because you're living in your own power. You're living in your own strength. You're not walking worthy of the calling by which you've been called. And you need to turn your heart back to Christ that God can use you for that. Got quiet. You see, the truth is that it's God's grace that the world so desperately needs and we can talk to them about politics, we can talk to them about finances, we can talk to them about current events, we can talk to them about how to have their best life now and if they have their best life now, they will burn forever in eternity because this life is not about our best life. This life is about our surrendered life to a Jesus Christ who died upon the cross to bring grace for us. And it is our job, it is our opportunity, it is our responsibility, and I will say it is our privilege to tell them what Jesus has done. It is grace. Grace produces those who tell others. So what does grace, lastly this morning, reveal about the gospel? What does grace reveal about the gospel? What is it that we can take from this and bring it outside of these walls? Because intellectual knowledge has value, but only to you. 
It's when we share it that it impacts other people. So what does the gospel, what is about the gospel is revealed in grace? Everything, that's the easiest way to put it. I could tell you just everything. But specifically, grace reveals that salvation has come for all people who will receive it. If you don't deserve it, if you didn't earn it, then neither can anyone else deserve it or earn it. There's a popular Christian song today that some of the lyrics in it are pretty bad, but it does say you cannot earn it and you, cannot, and you do not deserve it. That's what grace is. John chapter 1. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God, but of man. No? Of the church. Of politics? No, of God. They were born of the will of God. See, God's will is that people will know him. That's why he sent Jesus. And we are vehicles of that grace that others may share, that we may share with others. We have to tell them that it's only about what God has done. Justin, you know you contributed something to your salvation, right? You want to know what it was? Your sin. That's it. The only thing you brought before God was your sin. You don't have any righteousness not that's going to impress God. It's simply your sin. That's all you have to offer to God. The good news is he's accepting it. He's accepting you just like you are. He's not saying to you, get things right and then you can. What he's saying to you is, come just as you are. What does grace communi- about, communicate about the gospel? It communicates that everyone has hope if they'll turn their hearts to him. And everyone has the same opportunity to come to know salvation by turning their hearts to him. Because grace doesn't say, oh, I don't know. You've just been too bad. <laughs> Everything's bad to God. Your best is filthy righteousness. Paul says it this way. Romans chapter 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does grace communicate about the gospel? It's time. It's your time. This is a moment that was made for you. Julia, at this moment in time, God looks at your life 
He looks at your life, Willie. He looks at your life, Ron. He looks at all of us and he says, at this moment, right here, right now, in this moment, I'm waiting for you. I've done everything it takes. I've not left anything to chance. Every sin of all of mankind, the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus Christ. And He paid the penalty for that. Everything you've ever done wrong, He took upon Himself your punishment. And here's what He says. Accept my gift of grace. Accept my gift of grace. Believers, we have a story to tell to the nations. Amen? Go tell it on the mountain. Proclaim to the universe around you. Proclaim to the world around you. To everyone who will listen. Grace has made a way for you. And if you've never experienced that grace yourself, you hear us talking about it on Sundays, you hear your, your family, you talk about it, maybe you've heard it in a, somewhere other, some other setting, you've heard about that grace over and over again, but this morning you realize that of all of the things that you could have ever believed, you never would have imagined that God simply wants you to say yes. I believe. I believe that what you did, Jesus, was enough for me. I believe that every sin was nailed with my Jesus to that cross. I believe that upon that cross, Jesus paid it all. And I believe he did it for me. And if you believe that this morning for the first time, you want to express that by faith to him. And in just a moment during our invitation, I want to invite you to, to be glad about that and to celebrate that. Brother Jim, if you got a text a while ago that you just won $10 million in the publisher's clearing out sweepstakes, you'd probably be pretty excited back there. You'd probably want to tell somebody. If you just found out that your long-lost aunt from Timbuktu didn't pass away, but just was thinking about you and wrote you a check to pay off your mortgage. You might get a little bit fired up. If you found out on an email this morning, Brother Ron, that not only was your job maybe ending, but you were going to get a promotion and a double in pay. I have a feeling there might be a smile. Jesus, Jesus left the glories of heaven for you. That's grace. We ought to be happy about that. We ought to be celebrating that. We ought to be thankful for that. And if this morning, for the first time, you realized that it was for you, then during this song, I want to celebrate that with you. Would you come down front and take my hand and say, Pastor Mitch, I never knew that Jesus did that for me. I want to receive that gift.
maybe this morning as a believer you say, man, it's so easy to get caught up in the world and forget how gracious our God is to us. But I'm ready to tell the world about what my Jesus has done for me. Maybe you'd like somebody to pray with you about that. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray. During this song, would you respond to Christ how he calls your heart? Would you listen and answer his call? Let's pray. Father, we don't deserve the opportunity to be your children. We don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your forgiveness. We definitely don't deserve to be made part of your family or to have the opportunity to spend eternity with you. But we're so very grateful that you loved us enough that you sent your son to die for us. The most perfectly expressed grace ever. And because of that gift, Lord, your children now have hope. They now have meaning. Their lives now serve a purpose greater than themselves. Lord, may we cling to the grace that saved us and sustains us. In Jesus' name.